The socks are off. It's time for the Unusable Podcast. Coming up... What is accessibility? How do blind people use the internet? Hello and welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us, and talk about great design that just works, or moan about it when it doesn't. Hurrah! Huzzah! Uh, hi David! Hi! Your socks on? Socks are off, are you and we are socks ready are to podcast. Oh brilliant. Let's introduce ourselves. Yes, I am Andrew Waite, and I am a product owner of a SaaS product. Okay, I'm David Ball, I'm a front-end web and app developer. Whew. Formalities out of the way. Yep. Now let's get down to business. Go on then. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, today we're going to talk about accessibility, which is a huge subject. So, Andy, what does accessibility mean to you? So, I think accessibility means making making things accessible to everyone. I can't use the word. I can't use the word in the definition, can I? Well, but th- th- this is what I think. So th- there's two ways to think about accessibility. When you talk about accessibility, you're usually talking about disabled people and their ability to use technology or use things. So technology like websites, apps, devices, anything like that. Or we think about accessibility as making sure that everyone, equally everyone, has the rights to access all of those things as well. Does that make any sense? So on one hand, you're thinking about yeah. everyone, and on the other hand, you're thinking about specifically developing for people with disabilities to be able to benefit their lives and make them able to do the things that they need to be able to do. Well, to me, what you're talking about there is the difference between adapting your product or software so that it works for a a user group that you kind of didn't really design for. So that's a bit like adding the disabled ramp outside the building that was built 100 years ago with a step. Yeah. Okay. That's the adaptation that allows people in a wheelchair to to access the building that wasn't ever really designed for it. But there's also the kind of inclusive design where you just design a space from the outset to be as flexible as possible and accommodating as possible yeah. without any specific user group in mind. That's a good one. I think for me, accessibility as a subject is making sure that everyone, regardless of, of difference in their ability to, the abilities that they may have to still access the product or the software or the app or whatever it is, the website, whatever it is that we're talking about. Yeah. So, but, but I think the important part in accessibility is it acknowledges that variance in ability. What we're saying is that not everyone is equal not, in their abilities. Yeah, not everyone's got hands. Not everyone's got legs. Not everyone's got shoes and socks on. <laughs> <laughs> not everyone can see. Not everyone can smell, which is... Sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> So I, I get disappointed when I see technology or a device or a machine that's difficult to use because it's like missing an opportunity to be useful, right? But it, and it has some barrier that means it's difficult or frustrating. But imagine if you're somebody who's disabled, using that technology or device or whatever might be even more difficult. And so... Or it might be difficult in ways that able-bodied people don't appreciate. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's think of an example. So we've just been to Subway to get a sandwich, mm-hmm. right? And we saw the, the drinks dispenser machine. Yeah. Okay. So that's got a 
touch screen panel with a big button that says press here to pour. Yeah, so it's, it's like it's like a right? it's like a tablet floating in the air, isn't it? With the different drinks options on there. Yeah. And we can choose with a touch press from the drink and then the screen changes then into a mode where it can pour the drink and you have to press and hold on the screen to pour it. Okay. Now yeah. I hate that already because it's touch screen and I like to be able to have a little clicky button and I find that's a bit frustrating that it's a touch screen. But that's just my own frustration. If you would if you were a blind person or somebody who's partially sighted trying to use that and you're pressing a screen that you don't know if you've you know you can't feel that you that the button is being pressed and you can't feel when you've taken your finger off it. Of course. You just it's also it's also too high off the ground for someone in a wheelchair. Okay, so that's that's the other thing. It's quite high, but they, what they've done is they've kind of given you an alternative way of using that machine. So there's buttons down the bottom. Yeah, like left and right buttons, so you can sort of but physical buttons. Physical. These are physical buttons. Yeah. yeah. Now they're I, quite small and hidden. Yeah. So but they're a lot lower down. So therefore, people in a wheelchair who can't reach the the tablet up above, and so somebody has thought at least about people in a wheelchair, and they've designed a special interface for them. But that's what you're talking about. But what that means is there's a separate interface for some people as an afterthought yes and so it's like they've designed this amazing touchscreen and then they've gone oh actually oh it doesn't work for people in a wheelchair because they won't be able to reach it so let's create this extra other functionality as well and they could have avoided all that in the first place by creating something that works for everyone in a more inclusive way I kind of understand from a business point of view why the touchscreen has been put there so benefits that I can think of just to give them the benefit of the doubt yeah First of all, when they change the logos and the brands of the drinks on offer, you know, from 7up to Fanta or whatever, it means that they can, with a software tweak, even remotely, that interface can be updated. They don't have to, someone doesn't have to physically come out and re-change the button. If it was a physical button that was labelled Fanta or 7up or whatever, someone would have to come out and, and change that or it would be a physical process or the machine would have to be changed or whatever. Or you'd put a post-it note on it. <laughs> you'd put, or someone, yeah, someone would put a post-it note on it. The other thing is, I just think, I hate to say it, but from a marketing point of view it looks more flashy and modern it flashy. when it's not being used especially yeah having it has like animations on there showing you know the the drinks flowing and it kind of looks fancy true um, another thing it's white clean which is good if you've got physical buttons there you might get sort of grubby grime and dirt underneath the, the buttons sure that is true but I do think that it, that it does lose something it's a, it's a less inclusive design isn't it you know an old drinks dispenser with the physical buttons on there or do you remember the ones where you don't see them much anymore where you used to get the, the paper cup itself and like push it against like a against the machine oh but that then, would be the button and then the drink would flow out so and as soon as you move the cup away it would stop flowing and that's a wonderful wonderfully obvious user experience isn't it you don't have to do anything to activate the flowing of the drink other than put the cup in the place in the correct place to start with which is actually really good yeah I think that user experience was very good so in a way I think we've degraded you know we've gone back to something that's less less functional and that's why we've seen that afterthought adaptation Ooh, interesting does that mean accessibility is getting worse I don't think accessibility is getting worse so much as accessibility is often sacrificed for other business needs. For the the flashy, yeah. flashy marketing. Yeah. Yeah, I, maybe. I think they'll probably look at figures which say if we introduce the new animations, then the majority of people are more likely to buy a drink. And that probably affects their profit margin more than the sort of limited, more limited number of people. Yeah, so it'd be like less than the, 1% of people who... The, who who now are prevented from buying a drink or have mm. to ask for assistance to get a drink. Yeah. I hate to say it, I don't like that way of thinking, but 
a company like Pepsi or Coca-Cola is ultimately thinking about their um, their profit margins and, and how many units they'll sell. I'm only guessing here, but I would guess that having the flash animation and the tablet fancy machine is going to sell more units than an accessible machine that's well designed. True. When I was just finishing up university, I seem to remember at the time, so I, I did a course about multimedia and a lot of that included making websites. Around about that time was when the whole web industry was talking, starting to talk about accessibility. If you remember back, we had quite a lot of non-standard type websites. People, because it was so new, people were trying all these different things. And so we had websites made out of Flash. My my first websites were all built in Flash. (laughs) Mine too, yeah. I loved Flash. My intro to the web, you know, that's what got me interested in this industry. Yeah, you could do a lot of really interesting, cool animation type things that were also interactive. And it it was cool what you could do. But if you think about it, you could make websites that were completely unusable and complicated and very difficult to use for certain people. So imagine if you had a shop website, right? And and somebody is coming to that, that website and all they want to do is when, know when your opening hours are open. They've got to navigate whatever you've decided the navigation to be. And that could be that could be anything. Kind of right now, a lot of websites look kind of the same, don't they? They're kind of we've kind of standardized on this is what a website should look like and this is what a navigation should look like. I know we do have the freedom to sort of make them whatever we want, but we kind of build to the standards that people expect now. Whereas when we all started building websites we weren't necessarily thinking about that we were just thinking about oh wouldn't it be cool if we make somebody who wants to go to this page they have to drag this circle into a box first and then they can get to the page it's just a bit of sort of like technical showing off isn't it it's just showing off yeah so yeah so when I finished university everyone was talking about that this is like it became like the web 2.0 era where we were getting rid of flash and all the horribleness of websites and we were really sort of standardising we are thinking about web standards and making websites that were accessible for everyone and that had loads of benefits because if you made a website that adhered to web standards it worked well in other browsers as well because there's not just one browser obviously there's Internet Explorer Chrome Firefox that render things slightly differently but if you were to build things in a standard way you know it's going to work fine across them all. You you have used IE, by the way, haven't you? You have seen IE. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think IE knows what standards are. <laughs> what they do these days, and actually it's okay. You yeah, kind of no, don't I'm really, only kidding. You kind of don't really have to think about that. As long as you build in a standard way, you don't have to worry about Internet Explorer that much anymore. It's only if you're trying to use new features sure. where it becomes a problem where they might have implemented those slightly differently. And also on phones and tablets, if you build a website in a standard way, they're going to work okay on phones and tablets, sort of. Some more effort is required. But it seemed like because we were going through this, we were thinking about making sure that people could access websites in different ways. It seemed like the world was moving forward and everyone was thinking about disabled people. And I want that to continue. But what makes me disappointed sometimes is I'll see modern websites, modern apps where they might not have thought about people with disabilities. They might not have thought about standard technologies. And it means that, once again, people with disabilities might have problems where they can't access things. And I don't want that to... I don't want to go back to those days. I know what you're saying. I think it comes back to the same thing we said about the drinks machine a minute ago, where sometimes the marketing, the other factors involved, take over. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's always going to be the case. I think the key with that Web 2.0 wave that you mentioned was it it wasn't just making websites more accessible it was making them better for everyone it was making them more search engine optimized you know everyone could access that content more easily it was more inclusive for everyone and i also think that in that wave the cost to business wasn't 
huge in choosing to build something in a standards compliant way versus a non-compliant way. And I think the risk that we face right now is that we've got to a web that is fairly accessible and it can still be better. But the problem is that the improvements from here on in can be very expensive, especially in the sort of latest standards. Been reading up on the web standards, have you? (laughs) Yeah, so WCAG is the latest accessibility. WCAG 2.1 is the latest accessibility standard, which defines lots of different things that websites should and shouldn't do. So things like the colour contrast, all those kind of things. Yeah. I definitely think that all the things in there, definitely sensible, and I would love it for every website to comply with that. But a lot of those things are very picky, pernickety things that could potentially take a lot of re-engineering of systems. Oh, right, okay. And... Have we just got so good at making websites that we've solved most of the problems and the problems left over are the ones that are just really difficult to do? Yeah, I think they're the ones that are non-obvious. I think they're the ones that involve time and a great deal of expertise and they're the ones that aren't naturally solved by the tools that we have. If you think about, for example, one of the most basic ones, which is adding alternative text onto images. So that Okay, that's... The- that's the one that people are likely to know about the most though isn't it so every time you add an image in you put some text on there and that disc- so if someone can't see the image it reads it out and it's also useful for, for search engines yeah but it doesn't take a lot of effort to insert the alt text but some of the other things involved in accessibility would require the whole restructuring of the of the code that makes up the page I know what you mean actually so making things work in screen readers mm-hmm. isn't always as easy as you th- as you think so I thought the building with web standards this will definitely work in uh, with the screen reader so, also, by the way, Graham really explained what a screen reader is. So, if somebody who's blind or partially sighted might use this piece of software, which will read out the contents of the web page to you, and you can sort of navigate it with keyboard. But navigating with a keyboard could be quite complicated. So, if you're looking but, but, at something... But what I'm saying, to go back to my point, is the standards don't enforce that you do it in the right way. It's, it's very true. It's easy. quite vague. It's very easy to make a website that's hard to navigate by keyboard. And so I think that those are the sorts of things that are left yeah, okay. that still aren't necessarily always optimised and always thought about. I suppose they're purposely vague because the web's changing so fast that if they were to say, actually, you definitely need to do this, 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 give it a year or two, that might not be the case anymore. I don't know. I think having a spec and making things validate to it, you know, once alt text became part of a standard and your page would fail validation and things, it just became everyone just included alt text all of a sudden yeah what, what i'm trying to say is that we put a lot of emphasis on the web owners of a website or the maker of a website or the developer to have the responsibility for making a site accessible accessible and i think they do have responsibility obviously mm-hmm. but it has to start with the standard like that's the easiest way to get things accessible is to put the responsibility there if the languages and the building blocks that we use to make the web are enforcing accessibility from the ground up then well, they kind of are. If you just put put a paragraph of text on a page, that's accessible by default. The web is accessible by default. I know, but we ruin it, don't we? We ruin it by trying to make it look like a design I mean, that someone's made. Yeah. But yeah, if you just it. put text on a page, it's it's immediately uh, it's immediately responsive. It works on all all devices. It will be read out by the screen reader fine. But it's when you start making things complicated by saying, oh, actually, this menu that is over here on the right, actually, when you press that, it'll make this menu panel appear on the left. But that will slide out from the top and it all just becomes just this weird complicated mess because all that code has to exist somewhere on the page. And we as sighted users are looking at the page and it makes sense for us. There's something on the left, something on the right, something at the top and the bottom. That, that's fine. But if you're having that read out to you by software... There's no sense of left, right, top, bottom. It's just an order of things. Yeah. It's only linear. There's only backwards and forwards. Exactly. So that's why it's complicated. Yeah. So the problem that I had on a website that, that I worked on recently is that 
that you press a button to make the menu slide out. But what was happening is because that menu is hidden off the screen to start with, I thought, oh, well, that's fine. It's hidden. Obviously, it's hidden. And it's hidden to us who are using our eyes. But at a screen reader, it reads it out as one of the first things on the page. Right. Okay. Because in the source order, it was one of the first things on the page. Oh, okay. It just yeah. so happens that yeah. it's actually, because it slides in, it's actually living over there somewhere to the right. Yeah. I think that is a common problem. How the order of things is presented on a screen reader is yeah. a huge problem. So your your thing that you mentioned, so going back to the fact that you said about the Web 2, 2.0, where all of a sudden we were introducing these standards and everything seemed to be getting better very quickly. Yeah. I think often making things more accessible has accidental positive side effects. So the accidental positive side effects of that revolution, maybe they were intended, but that standardization benefited everyone. Like you said, you know, all of a sudden navigations became more predictable and consistent for people that didn't have any impairment. Yeah. Search engines could more easily access the content as well. And I think that's often the case. You know, if you think about, for example, I think one of the things in, in the WCAG guidelines is that on a touch device, everything be a certain size so that someone who's got, for example, motor problems, you know, can't aren't necessarily press particularly accurately. Oh, right, okay, yeah. So to the touch targets, the actual buttons that you press, the links yeah. that you click, anything like that, are big enough that, that someone who has a problem with, for example, not having a steady hand can still press it, okay? So that's they're the, they're the standards and the guidelines, and we can conform to that. But when you think about it, that has a really positive side effect. Imagine, for example, someone who's perfectly able, but is just, I don't know, on a bumpy bus, right? Yeah. They can still press the button more easily. If you think about, I don't know, someone who's trying to carry some shopping home and they need to press a button on their phone to just send a quick message you know again and they're doing it one-handed they're doing it one-handed right a lot of the accessibility rules have a particular use case in mind that they're helping out but it's not just that use case that they help out they you know there's plenty of of other people yeah definitely helping out yeah i think it's also important with accessibility we often get as we've already done in this podcast narrowly focused on two common accessibility accessibility groups so people for example in a wheelchair who need obviously need you know in terms of physical access to buildings have, yeah. have issues and also people who have site problems and accessing websites but there are a huge number of other things for example someone with ADHD oh what's that attention deficit hyperactivity disorder they may struggle for example to concentrate on something so they you know if you've got a page of content they're probably struggling to read it and their minds wandering off on a million different ways yes I worked on a university website once and it had a, a big banner that animated well it didn't animate it was a slideshow so mm-hmm. the image changed every every few seconds to another image and we were told by the client we have to add a way to be able to pause that because there are some people who really struggle to read all the content on the page because while this is moving they can't read anything so yeah I completely I completely get it because if you go to a website that has adverts down the side you know loads of things trying to get your attention it is very frustrating and it is very difficult to read the text yeah even as a someone who doesn't have those problems that you said there could be so much vying for your attention on a page, flashing buttons, adverts yeah. popping up. Just imagine someone who's got that kind of kind of attention problems and, and their minds wondering. But I think it's important to recognise that, that accessibility isn't just the things that you can can see or the obvious ones. You know, there's lots of other problems that people have. I don't want to say problems, but differences that, that people have that mean using technology can be a, a problem for them. And I think it's important as as people that design interfaces that you know we think about those cases as well 
Like what? Well, like ADHD, like I've just mentioned. Oh, okay. Or, for example, dyslexia. Yeah. Um, too much text. Big blocks of text. That can make a page quite unusable. If you've got way too much text, maybe the, the line height isn't very much, and so the text is really close together, that could be really difficult to read. And if that's important information, but if it's that difficult to read, it's useless. Also, something as simple as making sure that you don't use really high-level words. I don't want to read something that's a big block of text that's really complicated to understand. Just keep it simple. That is absolutely the best thing to do and like you said that's not just a benefit for, for people who can't read very well that's a benefit for us all until the designers and marketers get involved and then, <laughs> and then start adding loads of text right can I tell you about our latest Twitter followers of course do you want to say hello to each one I do we have Patrick Mooney hi Patrick Neil White hi Neil Chakib Labidi hi Chakib Laura Bori. Hi, Laura. Robert Jarvis. Hi, Robert. Brian Widin. Hi, Brian. Firoz Shaikh. Hi, Firoz. Eliza Manzato. Hi, Eliza. Chris Paddock. Hi, Chris. Alison C. Hi, Alison. Joy Powers. Hi, Joy. Lucia Lagoska. Hi, Lucia. Martin McDermott. Hi, Martin. Hyber Matani. Hi, Hyber. Pavlin Penchev. Hi, Pavlin. Shanti Kanhai. Hi, Shanti. Craig Tyner. Hi, Craig. Jason Pompon. Hi, Jason. Tara Thomas. Hi, Tara. Oh. Slick. Straight through in one go. Straight through in one go. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Funkify Disability Simulator? Funkify? Mm. No, what's that? So it's a it's a Chrome plugin, and what it does is you can use it on any web page. I'll quickly show you now. And it allows you to simulate a range of disabilities. So you can experience what it's like to look at the website through blurry vision. We can look at a colour issue. So if someone's got, what's it called? Not colour blindness, but where you, colours are shifted. No, I don't know. Um, yeah, but like, for example, the dyslexia one. So if I press this, start here on that here, what that's going to do is it's jumbling the text on the website so we can actually see how that looks to someone who's who's got i mean it's obviously just an approximation but it allows you to look at your own content and and see something approximating what it's like for um someone with that disability yeah that's really interesting that is because there's one that makes you appreciate it there's one that loses control of your mouse a little bit so wiggles the mouse around a bit okay yeah so if you've not got for example very good dexterity um there's quite a few of them that's obviously a common thing because we're all going to get old and we're all going to kind of lose the ability to to use our hands as much as you know, we, we have yeah. now and so that is an important one i think again it's not necessarily a boolean you either have an issue with dexterity or you don't yeah there are there's a huge spectrum of people that just like you said it's people that are getting a little bit old and no longer have dexterity there's nothing diagnosably medically wrong with them yeah they're just you know not as precise as they were before but making it accessible to people who have dexterity problems is it's just making it easier for everyone yeah you know. Because someone might be using a computer with a mouse and they, they might have a kid pulling on their arm or they might have a dog in their lap. Yeah. You, just, you want to make sure it's that easy. easier for everyone. This one, by the way, is one of my favourite ones in this Funkify simulator. It's called, they've all got names, it's called Hyperactive Henry. It basically simulates what it's like for someone with, with like ADHD or similar to use a website and it just basically pops up a load of random stuff as you're trying to access the website and read it. <laughs> it shows you random animated GIFs <laughs> while just... you're trying to do stuff. Yeah. This is kind of what the web was like in the, in the 90s. 
90s <laughs> it's almost like a 90s web simulator isn't it yeah but wow, yeah that's, it, that's horrible it's unfortunately a paid for plugin but it has a free trial but I think it's quite cool anyway it's called uh, Funkify it's a shame that it's not free because I think a lot of people like web developers and software developers and anyone who's like an interface developer needs to use that sort of thing to understand all of the problems at least just to sympathise they, they do actually have a free version okay um, and the premium one's 4 99 a month but I mean yeah, we're not in any way associated with them I just thought it was a cool and interesting thing So the company that I work for, again, this isn't a paid for plug, but I just generally think is interesting given the subject matter. Go on then. <laughs> has made uh, a screen reader simulator that you can do as a, as a Chrome plugin. Yeah, okay. You can install it. And what you can do is go to a website that you've built. In fact, you can go to any website, press the button in your browser to activate it. Yeah. And then it will act like a screen reader. You can even press a button that makes all the actual content invisible. Oh, right. You. Okay. So so you know exactly what it's like to be a blind person. There's, you can't see the content at all. Yeah. So you can... Oh, an option it's called curtain which i think is quite a nice term for it actually so it puts like a curtain over the content okay and then what you can do is you can navigate through the site using these controls home link okay main menu menu bar so it'll actually read out and you can actually click through and navigate and step through it as a screen reader okay so it's quite useful that's called the silk tide screen reader simulator and it's on the chrome marketplace the, the one on Mac is called VoiceOver. It's actually really good. I'm, I've been using that quite a lot because mm-hmm. so I make websites. I want to make sure that those websites are able to be viewed. What's the right word? Accessed by blind people using a screen reader. And so I, I do use that quite a lot. It's quite a steep learning curve, really, because I'm not the sort of person that would use keyboard shortcuts or keyboard all that much. I usually use a mouse. But with a screen reader, you pretty much have to use keyboard yes. commands. And it's really difficult. And it makes you appreciate how difficult it is for people using, using a keyboard to... Uh, navigate a website you can only go backwards and forwards exactly yeah one thing that i didn't understand until i was shown something there are different ways to navigate through the page yeah so no matter what you do it's linear and it will read one thing then the next thing on the page then the next thing and then the next thing and you can go forwards and back okay sort of but there are complications there because you can go inside something okay so there might be a menu because it will say this is a menu that contains six items and you could go up next and it'll, it'll skip over that or you could press to go into that menu and it'll read you okay. out the, those sure. six items the thing that I meant though was that you can actually choose sort of almost like the landmarks to navigate the page by yeah so you can navigate by links where it will go from link to link but you can also go for example by headings yeah I think there's a few other things you can do as well so in a screen reader you can choose how to skip through the page and then obviously if you find the heading you're interested in you can then delve into what's below the heading but I think depending on what the site is and how it's been built someone using a screen reader might adapt which of those they use definitely yeah you have these things called landmarks and so the landmarks completely depend on the, the website and how the website's being built so me as a web developer can choose what the landmarks are so you might have one for main content you might have one for footer main navigation things like that so I have a, a question to pose. Oh, God. And it's one that I probably doesn't have a correct answer and could be a whole topic on its own, a whole huge podcast on its own. Let's ignore it then. <laughs> <laughs> 
So do we have a duty to make sure that everything is accessible to everyone? Us as As website and app developers. Yes. Do we have a duty to make everything accessible to to everyone? Or does the level of accessibility, or should I say should the level of accessibility, depend on the target audience? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So a client comes to us and says that they are selling these TVs. They need a new website for for some TVs, right? They know that their audience are going to be sighted. I don't know. I think a lot of blind people have a TV and would just listen to the audio. You get audio descriptions, don't you? So you can hear what's happening. That's true, actually. Okay. That's a terrible example. But a client might say for certain that they know that their audience are not blind or disabled in in any way. And so they say, we want this as cheap as possible. Don't worry about adding all of your accessibility stuff. We don't we don't care about blind people. They're, they're not our target audience. That's what the client might say to us. So what you've asked there is, do we, as the website developers, still have the duty to make that website accessible for those people? And I think that we do because everyone should have access to it. Even if a blind person is not going to buy that their TV, they might be buying it for someone. Maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it is a tricky one. I think even if the client thinks they really, really know their audience, we should still have a go. I do think accessibility should be a base level. Maybe not to the degree where you're spending loads of time making sure that it's perfect in a screen reader, but making sure that it's okay for everyone. Personally, I think it's something we should always always strive for. Yeah. But I think that it's important to understand your audience to know how far that you have to go. See, this is where it gets tricky as well, because there is a cost associated with making something accessible as accessible as it as it can be. Only because of the time it takes, not because of anything else. It just it takes some time and effort to make sure that you've tested it properly sure, for all but, these different conditions. But for a business, you know, they're paying someone to build a website that, you know, the longer it takes in time, the more it costs. Yeah. I think where it does get tricky though is where people start to make assumptions about their audience. One of those assumptions might be that they've got a certain screen size or a certain type of computer that can run complex animations. Or another one might be an assumption that they've got like a free data plan or something like that. So if you've made a, a, a mobile app or mobile website that downloads loads of video and it's got lots of things happening, that could actually be quite costly if someone's out and about and using like 3G or 4G. They might not want to download load yeah. this big image file. The device as well, the capability of the device. So if it's a phone and an old phone on a poor internet connection or... I mean, this is actually something that, that we have to deal with a lot in our app because it's used by large organisations which often buy very outdated or keep outdated equipment for their users. Right. So our app has to work on quite old, outdated screen sizes. Yeah. And in lockdown browsers because they're only allowed to use Internet Explorer that's inbuilt and they're not allowed to install Chrome. Oh, right. Okay. So to me, that is accessibility as well, though. I agree with that. It's, it's you know, all those situations, it's not just about someone that's that's got what we might consider a disability. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, all of us every day as we're going about our daily lives and, yeah, the different devices we use and the the things that cause us to temporarily have an issue. Yeah. I think as long as as we're creating these interfaces, we're sort of empathising with the user and the user's situation and trying to sort of understand the user. As long as we're thinking of that, then I assume we're going to cover all of these problems and sort all of these problems out. 
Can I tell you about my wife's granddad? Okay, so he is in a care home. Okay. And he wanted to be able to listen to some music. So we thought of all the different ways that we can allow this. So he, he, can't, he can't really get out of bed on his own. And okay. he, he is perfectly sound, sound of mind, but he can't use his hands all that well. So we wanted to give him the ability to be able to listen to music. Okay. And start it, stop it whenever he want, mm-hmm. wanted to. Okay, so there's a few different ways that, that we tried to do this. First, gave him a tablet. So it was like a cheap Android tablet linked to Spotify so that he could listen to any sort of jazz. He loves jazz music. So he could listen to jazz music by sort of browsing through Spotify playlists and all that sort of thing. However, what I noticed straight away is that he was having trouble holding the tablet as well as pressing it. And what was happening with this particular tablet is it had some weird mode on it where if you pressed in two separate places it would take a screenshot, right? This, this is weird. And so as he's holding it, he, he, his grip's not so great. So he was kind of putting his hand on the screen. He could have been pressing something, but he wasn't. He was just sort of holding the screen down. And whenever he tried to touch with his other finger, it would like, take a screenshot, like I said. But the screenshot would then show on the screen. <laughs> so he'd think that so, was the actual interface. So it looks like it's frozen, but actually he's just seeing a screenshot of the oh, screen that he's so just bad, taken. It's so bad, yeah. I don't know if that was something that came pre-installed with that tablet. I can't remember remember what make it was but it was quite a cheap sort of low end I think that's a very good illustration of why I absolutely hate manufacturers that take Android and put their own rubbish on it yeah standard Android doesn't do that at all no true even still I think if even if we got him like the most expensive tablet in the world he probably would have struggled so what I tried to do for him is use some voice control Mm -hmm. so the latest Android phones they have the Google Assistant which is where you can talk to it and it will do something. So okay. this was my plan. We got him a, a phone and a stand so that he could use his voice and play some jazz music. So all he had to say is the command that makes it work, play jazz music or play the exact artist that he wanted. And I thought that was quite a clever way of solving the problem for him because he isn't able to use his hands very much, but he can use his voice fine. So that that's actually an example of something, you know what we were saying earlier about making something accessible has a side effect yeah. that it makes it better for everyone else. I think that's almost like the opposite way around. So voice control has been invented as almost like the next level of user interface yeah. that's better for everyone, but in the process has created something that for a smaller group of people that aren't sufficient on their own to drive that kind of innovation, yeah. but it's made the world better for them yeah. as a side effect. That's the other way around. You know, it's, it's an innovation in technology for the mainstream that has had this great side effect of, of being more inclusive for certain groups of people. Absolutely ideal, yeah. And um, it means that as well, if you were, say, bed-bound or weren't able to, to get up very easily, you could use your voice to turn on the TV, to change the channel. Because I do, I do that all the time. I'll speak to my Google Home and ask it to play something on Netflix without even having to get up or pick up the remote or even pick up my phone or anything like that. One of the best things that I have ever done in my home yeah. is, so we've had a Google Home for quite a while, yeah. and then we got a second one, and I put it upstairs, so we've got downstairs and upstairs, and then I bought one and put it in the bathroom. Right. Okay. So when I am temporarily disabled... What, sat down on the loo? Well, <laughs> yeah. 
I, I suppose you're not able to do anything else right then. Yeah, I don't. It's not particularly hygienic to be using a screen or something, is it? Yeah, as you true. are. Yeah. So I can talk and ask it what my, for example, in the morning when I get up, I'll go to the bathroom and do my morning routine. Right. And I, <laughs> <laughs> a nice image for everyone listening. But but I'll ask it, you know, what's on my calendar or how's my commute to work, and then I'll get in the shower. And again, we, I've got wet hands, so I am temporarily unable to use a normal user interface because yeah. I'd get my phone wet. Okay, I mean, to be fair, actually, my most phones are waterproof now aren't they but um I don't, know, I don't take it in the shower with you yeah but still like it would still be impossible to use because the touchscreen wouldn't as soon as you get water on it they're useless aren't they but but i can you know ask it to play whitney houston so i can sing along to whitney in the shower whitney in the shower and it and if, and, if, and if yeah and if it plays a track i don't like i can skip it without having to honestly the google home mini is just the right size as well puts out just enough sound in a bathroom the best use for a Google Home ever. In your bathroom. Listening yeah. to Whitney Houston. I, I'm having a poo. Is, is that a B-side? Is that one of a B? <laughs> is that Whitney Houston? I, I, don't, I don't think she ever sung about having a poo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Another good thing you could control with your voice. So say that you're disabled, you're not able to move around the house, but you're getting cold in your house. You can use it to connect to a thermostat and turn the heating up. So we've got a Nest yeah. thermostat. If I'm feeling a bit cold, I can just sit there all sort of lazy and just say, turn the heating up. And it does. Yeah. I mean, these are all... For me, it's just because I'm lazy. But for somebody who actually has actual problems, that sort of allows them to be independent. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Another thing that, that with our setup at home, and it sounds futuristic, but it wasn't particularly expensive or fancy to set up. It's just a couple of plugs that are about 20 quid each and a Google Home Mini for 30 quid, is that we've got some lamps on connected to the to the voice so you can turn them on and off with your with your voice yeah but one of the things i really like is google home and i think alexa has something similar is the routines feature so we so will, do more things at once yeah but what what i've set that up for is sort of leaving home and ar- arriving home functions so quite often when we get home i've got a little girl so who's only two years old so i'll be trying to look after her i might have some shopping bags in my hands or you know whatever clobber we've been out with her bag of all the bits and bobs you need when you've got a toddler yeah. all that stuff i'm loaded up with and turning the lights on even with a light switch you've got to put something down to flick the switch and you've got to then, you know, turn the heating up and all those kind of things. But it's fantastic that I can just walk into my home and go, hey, buzzword, I'm home. Yeah. And all of those things. So again, although that's accessibility... It's solving a problem for you, but, but also me that and, sort of thing would be very, very useful even for though, someone who's disabled. Yeah, even though, but even though I'm, I'm able-bodied and have the ability to flick on a light switch and do those things in that moment when I'm loaded up with things I am temporarily unable and those sorts of assistive technologies are so so powerful at making yeah just making it easier to interact with things yeah definitely I should I feel like I should make it clear though I'm not I'm not saying that you feel disabled no I'm not I'm not equating someone that's clearly got a life-changing disability to me with bags full of shopping because that's not true but all I'm trying to say is that by making technology more accessible for people it's helping everyone it, it benefits everyone it's yeah, not yeah. It, we're not just making it better for one person it's we all as we live our lives can benefit from from most adaptations for accessibility yeah I was watching a, a good video and it was by a lady called Alicia who is blind and she was talking about how she uses her phone in a way that really helps her so she's got this degenerative disease that affects her eyes and so she's gradually going getting worse and worse apparently and she has an iphone and one of the things that she does is she uses the camera mode 
And so she's out and about. So she can still see a little bit, but maybe it's like blurry. Maybe she can only see things that are, that are quite close. But out and about, she finds it difficult to see, say, signs or things in the in the distance. But if you've got an iPhone with a camera and a zoom mode on the camera, hold that up to, to your eye so she can see. She can see the screen, which is only right next to her face, but the camera can see much further away. So it's kind of like having binoculars right there. That's you've really... You've got like a sort of dynamic... That's really cool, scene. actually. Yeah. yeah. So that's something that it's technology that we all have, but she's just using it in the way that really, really benefits her. I think those sorts of things are quite interesting because it's a, I don't think the phone was ever designed with that in mind. Imagine what, what we could do if we actually tried to make it for that use case. Yeah. Another interesting thing is that a lot of people who are registered blind aren't completely blind. Yeah. So um, according to st- statistics by the Royal National Institute of Blind People, so there's 2 million people in the UK living with some level of sight loss, which is like one in every 30 people. But m- most of those are not completely blind. It'll be a spectrum. So they're people who are short-sighted, but can still see things. Some people can only see light and dark. Some people can only see things that are very close. And some people um, have they might have like a, a an eye flicker problem that uh, means that they can't focus on things. You did your really popular blog article where you pretended to be, well, you put a blindfold on and used a screen reader for a week, was it? Yeah, so I blindfolded, tried to use my computer, just using a screen reader for a week. Very difficult. I think I was using Windows back then. Jaws? I think I was using Jaws, yeah. And just learning the keyboard layout is difficult enough, to be honest. You know, I use a keyboard every day of my life, but it's completely different when you can't see where the keys are. Hopefully by doing that, you learnt ways in which we can build web pages better to be navigated. Mostly what I learned is it's very difficult (laughs) (laughs) and that people who are blind and use screen readers must have so much patience because it's very tricky and it takes a lot longer to to navigate things. If you've actually ever heard anyone do it though, they often turn the rate of speech up quite high. Yeah, they do, yeah. I've tried to listen to it and it's just unintelligible. It's It's so fast. A robotic voice speaking at speed. It's because there's so much, if you think about it, there's so much information on on any standard web page that you you don't always look at but it's there if you're navigating it in a way that's just one bit after another bit after another bit you're sometimes going to have to hear a lot more than you normally would so why waste your time listening to it all you want to sort of get through it as fast as possible one of the biggest things that i learned actually is that screen reader is not just about the browser it's not just about the web it's about using the whole desktop so from the moment that you turn the computer on you've got to use a screen reader to even get to the browser get to chrome or internet explorer or, or whatever get that open and then navigate to a website and then start using the website. So yeah, so it's not just about the website. It's about using the whole operating system. And if you press the wrong thing, you could get out of the browser because the browser is just one program that's running. You could accidentally get out of the browser and into the operating system and into an app that you never thought that was even running. And then you've got to then find your way back, which is really difficult if you don't know what you're doing and if you don't have the experience. Another one of the difficulties is that each website has a different way of doing things. And so even if you've learned a way to navigate one website, it might not necessarily be the same way that you would navigate another website. Yes. So that's that's quite difficult. And that's, again, why I think we need to work towards Standardization. Web, web standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does kind of mean that all websites are going to eventually be very boring and the same, but that's just better for everyone, surely. Yeah, I think it's a great shame that it almost requires you to be a regular visitor to the website to learn the way to get to your content the fastest. Yeah. Another thing I learned is that 
I always thought that you could tab through a web page. You know, if you're, if you're using a form and you mm-hmm. fill out one field, then you press tab to get to the next one. I thought that that's how blind people use screen readers, but it's kind of not. The screen reader itself has its own kind of focus. So when you tab, you're selecting something, mm-hmm. but when you're hearing something from a screen reader, you're not listening to what's currently selected by the browser. You're listening to... Oh, okay. So it's like, you know, you, your eyes can be looking at something different to what you have selected. Mm-hmm. It's essentially that. The screen reader is reading you out part of the page. Last episode, we talked about Jane Who. Who? Yeah, uh, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't get old, does it? Oh, she's going to send us an angry tweet. So she had problems entering her name into a form. So because her last name is only two characters long. So she tweeted a screenshot of the form validation saying your surname needs to be at least three letters long. And she's like, well, this is ridiculous. So I was looking at other people who've had the same problem. And Pat O'Brien, he's screenshotted a form that says, please enter a valid last name. So O apostrophe Brian has an apostrophe in it. Yeah. The It thinks that it's not a valid name. It thinks that you've entered something completely yeah. ridiculous but so, it's so, just part of his name so he has to become Pat Obrian Pat Obrian exactly <laughs> <laughs> but it's another thing where the, the developers of that form just haven't thought about people they haven't thought about every every eventuality and it's the sort of thing that just with a little bit more understanding and awareness of the world around them though that just wouldn't be a problem I also think though that a lot of the time these things are built by people who do care but just maybe needed a bit more education so I think yeah although we're right to flag it up you know we, we find humor in it but you know it's right that we that we try and make the world a better place I still yeah. I still think that we should be oh don't don't send like hate mail to the to the developers of it they probably didn't yeah. intend and to it no yeah anyone I don't think we should berate people they may have been working to a tight deadline or in a limited framework and so I think we should yeah I think we should be balanced well I just think we should just try and approach it in a positive way yeah it's something Um, that needs fixing that's it yeah I don't think we should berate them too hard I think we should just try and be the the positive change that we want to see in the world yeah In 2013, Apple released iOS 7, which have a heavy use of motion parallax and zoom effects. And then after they released it, they realised that this was triggering vestibular disorder symptoms in users that have motion sensitivity, like an inner ear disorder that affects like balance and causes vertigo, things like that. So what they did is they introduced a reduced motion toggle, right, that someone can switch if they have this problem and, and if these motion effects were affecting them. That's not inclusive design, though, is it? That's that's definitely an afterthought for solving a problem. If it's only like 1% of people who have this problem, they want to make it swishy and, and fancy and everything for everyone else. True. So they created this, this toggle in the accessibility settings. And then sometime after that, the Apple engineers proposed and implemented a media query for websites using that same setting so that if you've got that setting set, the reduced motion toggle that turns all the animations off, oh. that it will affect websites as well. And because they implemented it as a media query, that means that we as web developers can use that to change the behavior of our websites as well. So we can turn off animation on websites. Is that still only on iOS or do other platforms support that as well? Right now, it works in the latest Safari on iOS and desktop and in Firefox, and it is coming in an upcoming version of Chrome. Okay, I like that idea. Yeah, that's good. What it means you can do is if you've got an animation that takes, say, half a second where something is moving, you could just say animation takes zero seconds, so it just doesn't animate it at all. It just is static. 
Yeah, so I thought that's that's quite an interesting thing that web developers can uh, can use right now. I do feel like that's a, another case. What you said you said before, like the web out of the box is accessible, and it's sort of designers and builders that have created <laughs> the accessibility problem. It's adding the, all this animation and wizziness again that's starting to cause these problems that we now need these workarounds for. Yeah, which needn't be a problem if we just stuck with the you know the basic tools at our disposal. True. I don't know. People like to make whizzy things though, don't they? Okay, we got a Facebook message from Anthony James who says, oh, he, he really wants a thread for us to air examples of unusability that irks us. And then he's told me loads of things that irks him. Okay. <laughs> this is what we've just become now, like a conduit for people to rant. Well, we are the unusable podcast. <laughs> If something's unusable, then we want to know about it. Okay, so he says, Tech companies' insistence that buttons don't work and that we must use glass touch screens. He's bought an iPod Classic for use at work to listen to podcasts. And he loves the click wheel interface. Is it old in- so old that it's got the physically scrolling wheel? Because they're, they're really yeah, early the, ones. The, that, that's what he's talking about, the clicky wheel. Because he doesn't like the modern <laughs> ones that have the screen. Because what he says he does is he puts it in his pocket. No, no, no. no, no but I mean, like literally the earliest iPods, that wheel moved oh, under you your mean. finger. And then they moved, changed it almost, I think, on like the... Th- was it the third generation? I think iPod had... He says it's the iPod Classic, so I don't know. Pro, has it got a colour screen? Have you got a picture of it? No, he didn't. But uh, yeah, he says he can use it in his pocket and feel that he's pressed the button to turn it on and off to sort of pause and play. Whereas the, the modern ones use a touch screen and so you'd have to get it out and look at it, which is just more frustrating. He also doesn't like butter that doesn't spread. Not much we can do about that, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I see. I I agree that butter that doesn't spread is a problem, but I think that spreadable butter is worse because they make it taste weird. Because spreadable butter, they make it spreadable by just mixing butter and oil. Oh right, okay. I don't, I don't like that. I don't want oil. Right, fine. He also says that his Mac Mini keeps freezing and he doesn't know how to solve it. Whereas on Windows, you can do Control or Delete and it shows you all where the resources are being used. But on on Mac, you have to go to the I think you have to go to the Mac Activity Monitor. But that's just saying everything's fine. I don't know. We're not IT support. <laughs> <laughs> True. Can't solve all no, the problems. I've noticed that on a Mac, though. They, they often try and... Um, Windows does this. So I've not used Windows for a long time. Right. But occasionally, because I am a, the computer guy for a lot of my friends and family, they will ask me to fix a problem. And <laughs> so, IT support for your family. Yeah. The last time I used Windows was Windows XP. Yeah. And in order to debug a network problem, you could go into the settings and see what was going on with the network. Yeah. For someone technically experienced, you could get access to the information, right? You could see what IP address it had been assigned, whether it was, you know, you could do lots of different things. Whereas nowadays on Windows, whatever, what's the latest version of Windows? I don't even know. 10? 10? Okay, if you go to oh, Windows yeah. 10 and you try and go, try and find the options for network, it will just say something like, there is no internet. Oh, do so you want really to, dumbed it down. Do, for yeah, the do you want user? to diagnose the problem? And you click diagnose the problem. And then you just get a spinner for 10 minutes. And then it goes, we weren't able to diagnose the problem. <laughs> click here for more help or something. And it's like, no, what I want to see is like what the problem is. I want yeah. to go, you know, is the connection plugged in? Is it that you've not got an IP address from the router? Yeah. Is it something else? Is it DNS related? And trying to dig into those settings. I mean, maybe it's just the fact that I'm not very familiar with Windows 10. and it, But it just felt very difficult to get to the, to the fact. It's like they tried to make it easy for people, but in the process, they'd removed all the useful information. I think you were looking for something that's a bit different to everyone else, though, possibly. You were looking for really advanced information. True, but, uh, but I feel like this is the difference between the Windows horrific blue screen of death 
which is horrible and unusable, but at least it gives you some sort of message or code that you can try and look up to fix the problem. Right. right? Contrasting with the Mac version, which is just the whole screen goes black and you get a little icon of a sad face. So one of them's much more friendly than the other. One of them's very intimidating, one of them's very friendly. But on the flip side of that, one of them contains absolutely no information about what went wrong and how to fix it. And the other one at least gives you something, even if it is... Jargon. But at least it's something to go on, right? Yeah, if it says so. error code 3691E... At least you can Google that, maybe. Yeah, at least you can Google it and have some chance of knowing what's going on. Yeah, fair enough. So Linux is the way forward, is it? No, God, not for usability. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I use Linux because I'm a power user, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't know where to start. I, with I wouldn't. Linux. Having said that, I actually, my parents, who are complete technophobes, use Linux. I think because they don't have any preconceptions. They never really use Windows. They've oh, never, okay. Because they've got no preconceptions, and all they tend to do is turn it on and open a browser. If anything, it works great for them. They don't get yeah. viruses. Oh, fair enough. When scammers try and phone them up and say, there's a problem with your Windows computer, they go, well, you must be a scammer because we don't have Windows. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty good for them. <clears throat> and there are some things, actually, that usability-wise, that are a lot better in Linux. Adding a printer is one of Oh man, adding a printer in Windows. In Windows is so annoying. Printers are just annoying anyway. That is an episode of a podcast. That's an episode entirely about how annoying printers are. (laughs) Nobody would listen to it, they'll just skip it. We've been sent something by Ali. Okay. So in our last episode, we talked about uh, designing for failure. So she sent us a good example where on the B&Q website, when it's broken, so the error page, it contains a voucher code for £5 off your next order. So even if it's broken, they're giving you something. So that's quite good. Bad usability usability nightmares. Well, sort of nightmare. Sort of nightmare, okay. So mine is... uh, So I went to the bank recently to pay a Mm check-in, okay? And so I stand there at the counter. There's a lady. So I give her the check and she goes, okay, put your card into this device. This It looks like a sort of chip and pin device that's on my side of the counter. So I do that and then it has a very small screen on it. And on the screen, it asks for my pin and then a progress spinner starts spinning. And then she's doing something with the check. She finishes. She says, okay, all done. And meanwhile, I'm looking at this screen and the progress bar spinner, it's still going. It's still spinning. And I say, can I, am I, do I take my card out now? And she goes, oh yeah, 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 take your card out. But but there's this spinner going on. And now I know what a spinner is. That means something's happening. Just wait a bit. Don't do anything. Otherwise something might mess up. And so I'm worried about taking my card out, just pulling it out when there's a spinner going on. And she says, yeah, 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 do it. So I take it out and I'm like, but, I'm like, but that's not right. Something, I, I was worried that something might, might cancel. And she goes, Oh, bless. As if, like, (laughs) as if I've misunderstood what was going on. Whereas I think I know what a spinner means. Yeah. It means don't do anything yet and just wait. Yeah. Well, she's probably used to it because it happens, like, all the time for her. Yeah, but I don't know. that's just what it does. But her reaction to me going, oh, bless, sort of makes me feel like I've done something stupid. Yeah. That's so funny. I don't know. That's just a weird thing that happened to me. No, no, that is that is that is rubbish. That is totally rubbish. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of um I had a thing in a bank the other day where I was trying to pay some cash in using an automated paying machine. Oh, it's yeah. like a, it's like a cash machine in a, in reverse. Oh, I was with you. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, I put my card in and it says what do you want to do? Pay in cash or checks? I said cash. And then it says okay, well put your money in face up you know all together so I put in this wad of notes that I'd oh I missed the money bags <laughs> wad of notes 
<laughs> and, um, and then what it, happened? It, it then set about counting it and it went, please wait. And it took quite a while. It went, yeah, because there's so much money in there. There's too many bags. Yeah. It was just a pile of fivers. <laughs> and then after it had done all that, it then came on screen and said, we think you've deposited this many £20 notes, this many £10 notes, totaling yeah. this amount. Is that right? And I said, yes. And then it had a spinner for a bit. Right. And it went, sorry, we couldn't process your transaction. What? Okay. So... But did it say why? No. It just said we couldn't process your transaction. I then look around at the queue and... Oh, the queue actual For the actual, the, for the the actual counter quite... for a human and that, yeah. and it was huge and not moving anywhere. And I was like, I really don't want to stand in that. So I thought, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll try again. So I tried it again. I went through all this process of every step and it did the same thing again. And then as a third attempt, I thought, well, maybe I'll just try some of the money. Maybe that'll work. Yeah. So I tried that. I don't know. In fact, there was there was one that was ripped in the pile of notes, a slight rip in it. Okay, yeah. So I thought okay. maybe I'll take yeah. that one out. Let's see if that works. Yeah, okay. Failed again. Oh. Okay. So at this point, I'd tried three times and I was sufficiently frustrated that I thought, you know, I'll leave it. I don't need to pay this money in today. Yeah. I'll come back tomorrow. Maybe it's a temporary glitch. So I leave. The next day, I come back into the bank and I'll try the same thing again and it fails. Right. Okay. So then I think, well, I'll split the money up. Maybe I'll try half of it. Maybe there's a particular note that's causing the problem. Yeah. Get through the process again, does the same thing. So at this point, I'm exasperated. I think, look, if I need to pay this money in, I'm just going to have to stand in the queue. So I go and stand in the queue. Eventually, get served by someone. It turns out that my card, my debit card, it was actually, it's a bank account I use rarely, and they'd sent me a new card and I hadn't realised, and it was an old card. Oh, but why didn't they say that? Why didn't they give that as the problem? Exactly. So there's, there's two things for me here. First of all, why didn't it say, at least we don't recognise your card or, or anything like that? Yeah. Or like they could have put some message on screen screen that would and every message that would have said this is an old card would have been useful yeah i mean maybe that wouldn't be right for security reasons i don't know maybe they, oh, maybe. they would be afraid of that but it could have been more useful than you know there's been a problem because i don't know whether it's with the money with the card i assumed it was the money that i was paying in that had the problem but i was wrong yeah the other thing that annoys me about this whole thing is that if there's a problem with that card the first thing i did every time was put the card in the machine oh it could have told you there was a problem before you even put the money in yeah it could have literally read the card and gone there's a problem please speak to someone right but it let me go through all those steps it it said what do you want to pay in cash or checks please insert all your money the right way up let's put all the money in it went through the long process of counting it it asked for confirmation about what i'd put in and then right only at that point (laughs) does it read the card and go can't do anything with that Oh, man. How ridiculous is that? It's a time-wasting. Because I think that's also the reason that, as a user, I associated the problem as being with the money. Because it was after the money step that it had a problem. If it had had a problem at the start when I put my card in, I would think, oh, there's a problem with my card. I need to get that fixed. I wonder why. So, yeah, banks. Rubbish. Meanwhile, while you were doing all that, I remember this because I, I was with you. I noticed an accessibility problem, right? As I was stood waiting for you, yeah, there was a, a guy in an automated wheelchair trying to get into the bank. Yes. Right? And the doors are double automatic doors. And one of them opened, but the other one didn't. And so he just, he's, he's trying to get through the door and he's just starts swearing loads. Does <laughs> <laughs> he swear? He's just swearing loads. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I was I was just going to help him and like open the other door, but he'd kind of managed to line himself up correctly so that he could get through the through the single door fine with millimeters to spare. Yeah, yeah. But after after he sort of like came through, he was like, "Oh, sorry for swearing." And I just thought, well, I think that's fair enough.
If you've enjoyed this, there's plenty more. The last episode we talked about designing for failure and on YouTube we've got a video of us talking about the dark patterns when you try to cancel Nav TV. Music is by Gold5472. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get a notification about the next one. And that's it. Until next time, bye. Bye-bye.